From Austin Film Festival, this is On Story, a look inside the creative process from today's leading creators, writers, and filmmakers. I'm your host, Barbara Morgan. From Christmas classics to modern holiday hits, the magic of storytelling seems to be stronger during the holiday season. We spoke with the writers behind some of the most celebrated modern Christmas films to discuss their writing stories set during the most wonderful time of the year. Karen Shaler wrote A Christmas Prince, which was Netflix's first original Christmas film, and it spawned two sequels. Matt Lieberman wrote The Christmas Chronicles, also released by Netflix, which stars Kurt Russell. Lieberman also wrote the sequel, The Christmas Chronicles 2. David Berenbaum wrote the 2003 holiday classic, Elf, which stars Will Ferrell. The three writers spoke with moderator Fabian Harper at the Austin Film Festival. Clips of Elf, courtesy of New Line Cinema. Clips of The Christmas Chronicles, courtesy of Netflix. Clips of Every Day is Christmas, courtesy of Lifetime Network. All of the work y'all have done is, is very tender, it's very loving, and it's very heartwarming. Um, but for a lot of folks, as you say, the holidays are can be very dysfunctional and stressful. And But even as you guys were talking, I was thinking about all of your films do include relational dynamics that are strained um, and people who are having a hard time connecting. I mean, to me, the Elf was always a father and son story at its core about a, you know, a boy finding his father, and that was really the through line for me. So, Dad, I plan out our whole day. First, we'll make snow angels for two hours, and then we'll go ice skating, and then we'll eat a whole roll of Toll House cookie dough as fast as we can, and then, to finish, we'll snuggle. I've got to go to work, buddy. Oh, and, and another thing. If you're going to be okay. staying here, you should think about you know, getting rid of the costume. But I've worn this my whole life. Not in the North Pole any longer. And, you know, uh, when you take a character like Buddy, who's the, you know, antithesis of New York, and then you put in, you know, a Walter Hobbs, who is New York, just starting off that point, you know, it's, first of all, it's a good comedic dynamic. And then, secondly, a lot of Christmas stories have Christmas curmudgeons that have lost their way and have to be taken down a path to find their way back. So, uh, you know, I, I watched tons of Christmas movies and, you know, that's, that's a hallmark of a lot of them. And so starting there with a strong family dynamic of a father and a son and budding, leading Walter down the path to finding his way to what Chris is about, about families and community and sharing. I think there's something I have to tell you right now. Um, I didn't mean anything I said back there, not, not a word. I know you may be a little um, um, uh, chemically imbalanced, but you've been right about a lot of things. I, I don't want you to leave. You're my son, and I, I love you. I think with the movie I did for Lifetime called Every Day is Christmas, it was starring Tony Braxton. When the network brought me in, they had read a different spec script, which I thought they were bringing me in to hire me to do, so I was in that mind frame. And then they start talking about their showcase movie that year that was going to star Tony, and they had one line, she wants to be Scrooge. Okay. And so and they said, so we think she's going to maybe meet someone, but, you know, breaks up, she goes down to Scrooge, the Christmas Carol story, and then have her get back together with the guy at the end. And... I was, and she, they said, but it's Tony, so we want it to be uplifting, happy, lighthearted, beautiful. And I'm like, you do know this is the Scrooge story. So I remember thinking that was going to be challenging. But the reason I was drawn to it, you know, as David was saying, that relationship, I think all of us, 
getting to, caught up in whatever, whatever it is in this case, you know, the money aspect of Christmas or selling Christmas. I liked it because that's a story been told many times and I like the challenge of trying to find a spin on it. Yeah, I mean, I started with the, you know, with the concept first, but uh, I started with the dysfunction of these two kids whose parent had died and, you know, the family feels like it's going to fall apart. And then, well, in the original script, uh, you know, I didn't even have really Santa Claus in it because I wanted to, like, it was a found footage movie, so I wanted it to feel real. So they kind of left Santa, like, at the end of Act One and went on to do the things themselves. And, uh, you know, one was always a believer and the other, you know, was on his way out into bad things but the revelation was Netflix telling me to put Santa Claus in it because he became this like perfect surrogate father figure and then it became Kurt Russell who I'm telling you he Kurt Russell is dialed in I just spent two weeks with him on the sequel and that guy is dialed into Santa Claus (laughs) it is amazing listen pal you can lose the shtick I've had a long day So just tell me your name, and I don't want to hear Santa Claus. And you won't. Officially, it's St. Nicholas. I prefer St. Nick. And I'm actually, I'm I'm not officially an official saint. I mean, they haven't bestowed that title upon me officially, so I guess it's who you know. Buddy, I'm about at the end of my rope here. Me too. And he, I mean, he was just like the perfect, perfect, perfect Santa. Yeah, and it, it seems like kind of an art form that you guys have perfected. That's like that tenderness without a cheesiness, a tenderness that feels sincere and authentic. Does that come from characters? Does that come from dialogue? Like, h- how do you keep it so it's like that? So it's tender but not cheesy? I can't take movies that are over the top sappy. So I think you have to just play it as real as humanly possible. And if by the end of the film, uh, the audience is appreciating and relating and caring about these characters and you just give them a little tug on the heartstring i think that's really powerful and will stay with them as you know a lot of times you get studio notes where it's like well we have to have a scene where you know they have this talk and talk and you know it, you have to tell him how you feel about him and it becomes so over the top and so forced that it sort of kills me. Um, I'm sure we've gotten that note. Uh, So I tried to like just put it in and make it real so that when it lands, it really lands. And you're not forcing it, but it's kind of what the whole movie's about at the end of the day. I actually got the Lifetime Project because the only note they gave me was to do the Scrooge. She has a guy in the beginning, she dumps him, and in the end we want her to figure out through the Scrooge and her experience and go back to him. And I didn't take that note, um, you know, just to do that. Then they asked writers to go out and do pages and what have you. And I thought, no, I don't think a woman that goes through this would go back. I think you go forward. So I'm the, I basically wrote my own version. When I wrote this movie, I mean, the idea was to make it as real as possible. So I tried to make everything everybody said grounded. Uh, But I will admit that when I'm writing something, especially for a studio, I'll put things in there, like little signposts for for the execs um, that I know will be not be there when the movie gets made. But it, it helps them. It helps them kind of track the characters. I think sometimes. I mean, nothing over the top, obviously, or you know, bad. Uh, but it helps. You guys keep mentioning real. You're trying to keep it real. But what's interesting about that is you're all dealing with elements, spoiler alert, that that aren't real, I don't think. I don't know. Wait, what? Says you. I don't know what you're talking about. 
talking about. Yeah. I have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> but I do think that's kind of what makes these these movies work and why I was excited about the combination of panelists here is like there is something that feels real and you forget. Like even when as I was thinking of that question, I was like, wait, wait, is Elf real? <laughs> like I can't I can't remember now if, if it's true or not. Um, but how do you how do you make it real when you're dealing with elements that are fantastical? Well, because you're just dealing with human emotions. It doesn't matter if you're an elf or you're Santa Claus. It's just they're dealing with things that, you know, everyone deals with on an everyday basis. And a lot of times with Christmas movies, you're dealing with familiar relationships and dysfunction there or um, a character who has lost his way. And I think everyone can relate to that. And I think, like Matt said, there's sort of uh, it's a combination of melancholy and family dynamics. Um, and it becomes, you know, you're sprinkling in a, you know, a fantastical element to make your story stand apart, but at the same time, underneath all of that, and that grounds everything, is the real human dynamics of these people, and without that, then you're just sort of floating in the ether, and no one will care or or relate to anything you're doing. In the Tony Braxton movie, Every Day is Christmas, of course, that was loosely inspired by A Christmas Carol. And in that, the ghost or spirit, we were really careful not to say ghost or spirit to let people decide what they wanted it to be, but who came back was her mother. And it also became a mother-daughter relationship. And there's humor and there's heartfelt. And that movie was also had a lot more drama. But the point was, whether she's a spirit in the Scrooge coming back, in A Christmas Carol, she, that mother-daughter relationship, we heard so much from how much that impacted people that watched. What's wrong? It's my mom. She was right there. She, she was wearing a red coat. You know, like, she was... Look, she had on the same thing. She, she had on this red coat. You mean your mom who passed away? Um, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. So you can have Elf and you can have Santa, but it has to be the characterizations you're reading. You can't, you can't when I say Christmas is a character, you can't cheat and go, I got Santa, I'm good, here's the script. You, it all starts with the character. I like to set my movies in the places usually where, you know, like Christmas movies exist. So that, I feel like in a way that kind of grounds the, the world. So starting specifically with genre, these films are all very different. We've got kind of a rom-com, a comedy, an adventure story, really, Christmas Chronicles. Where, where did it begin? Yeah, I mean, for me, it became, you know, with a, with a simple concept of a boy who was taken from an orphanage and raised as an elf, didn't know he's an elf, and I thought, oh, that's funny. I then proceeded to tell Buddy of how his father had fallen in love when he was very young with a beautiful girl named Susan Wells and how Buddy was born and put up for adoption by his mother and how she had later passed away. I, I told him his father had never even known that Buddy was born and most importantly, I told him where his father was in, in a magical land called New York City. Um, I always try and think of like, what is the, what is the funny here? Um, and I thought, oh, it's the musing, and you know, where, where would that lead next? So I started with that grounding principle. I thought, oh, it's not so dissimilar to Moses. You know, he was put in the Nile, and you know, the Egyptians found him, and he found out later on, well, wait a second, I'm not really an Egyptian. And then I made that funny, 
when I found the movie, it uh, was about the fa like I said, the father-son relationship. And I thought, I love New York. People view New York as a cynical place. Let's put his dad in New York. And then, you know, it was kind of simple from there because you had all your structure built in just from the idea and then adding to that. Something I read, I just thought it'd be helpful to share when you talk about nostalgia that I was blown away by. And I'll let you tell the story about the outfit that a certain main character you have is wearing, what you did. Just a subliminal thing that was done. Elf was such a homage in the beginning to uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, I mean, you know, I was watching that a lot. And um, so it was very much in a Rankin and Bass world for sure. You know, even when we, the outfits were designed, you know, we had to make a, a deal with the people who owned Rankin and Bass because it was like, dude, we literally copied them. Um, uh, I didn't know if they would take it that far, but, you know, that world I loved and taking a human and placing him in that sort of stop motion world uh, seemed like a funny thing to do. And then, you know, they, when they filmed it, they really pushed that to the nth degree. I didn't know how they would do it, but they really embraced that. And so, you know, Hermie the Elf was a big inspiration. You know, I love the, the, the foreman uh, who was mean, and I love that whole thing. I think they really nailed it. And this guy named Romeo Muller wrote all those Rankin and Bass scripts, and I thought he really did a great job in capturing a great spirit in those films that, that last to this day. And, and when you talk about visuals, what I, the part I read that jumped out is Buddy in Elf, his elf outfit, it's, it's modeled after the elf in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I just, that just struck me in, in a way that you don't even know. Like you go, oh, you love Buddy. Well, maybe because you watched Rudolph and it's a subliminal nostalgia. So it works for the audience, it works for us. It's just, I thought that was genius. So I just have to say that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's totally subliminal. People know and love that thing. So if you're taking them and putting that into a live action world and you can actually pull that off visually, which they did, yeah. it really makes people feel at home. And you're telling them a new story, but you're also giving them, you know, it feels instantaneous to them. Like they've already, they know the story before they even seen it. And, you know, it really hits home with them. And I think it really is what, one of the things that has kept it playing year after year. But essentially, when you're dealing with something like Christmas or the holidays that has a lot of mythology, has a lot of rules in that world, in that space, how do you pay homage to that? Also, do your own thing. Yeah, I mean, mythology is everything in the Christmas Chronicles and the sequel. Uh, and I, I mean, I think my rule is, like, give them what they want, but not what they expect. And uh, really, but the whole fun of it for me was, like, dialing down, like, how does this really work? Like, how... How does he have a sack of presents? <laughs> that's uh, that's endless. Like, oh, it's a time, you know, there's magic involved. And like, what's, ma I mean, and now we've really like had to dial in on like, really how it works. What's the myth? I mean, Kurt Russell has a 30 page handwritten download on the history of Santa Claus. <laughs> like, it's, am it's amazing. Like, it's, it's very dialed in. And uh, the thing that sold my script was a line, like when Santa comes down the chimney, it said, Santa Claus? Live and in person. One night only. The real deal, like a lumberjack kind of Santa Claus. And like that's what Chris Columbus was like, that's why I bought your script. Like I, that just, 
what is that? And who is that guy? Like, I haven't seen him before. So, like, everything kind of, I think, came out of that. When you're dealing with a subject like the holidays, like Christmas, that has so many tropes and things like that, so many films, such a legacy of films that come before, how do you keep it original? Do you ever deal with kind of that imposter syndrome of ripping something off? Yeah, you don't call it ripping off, you call it homage. <laughs> so there you go, problem solved. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I certainly would not have written these Christmas movies without being inspired by the films that have came in the past. You know, I love sitting around the, with the family watching these movies year after year, and there's something special about it. There is something kind of magical about it. So it inspired me to sit down and do these movies, and you're certainly taking from, but I think it's organic and it's coming from a, a real place. So you're making your own, but you know, there's years of things that have come before, but you know, it's a little bit of everything. It's, it's them and it's you, and then that equals hopefully something new. And I think David said it really well. It's because Christmas has all these things we all know, the elves, Santa, I mean, we all use that in, in, in all our movies. And so I like to think it's honoring the tradition and, and the writers that came before us and those pieces. And, but we, it's still our job as writers to find what's new and fresh. So it's just like, okay, there's an action movie where A, B, and C happens. Well, we've seen that same movie a hundred times, but we put a different spin. Yeah, tropes are in every single movie. Uh, storytelling is a tr trope that goes back to the caveman days. Every story is built on other stories copying like other stories and putting a twist on it. That's, that is the job. On Story is brought to you in part by the Alice Kleberg Reynolds Foundation, a Texas family providing innovative funding since 1979. This project is supported in part by the Cultural Arts Division of the City of Austin Economic Development Department, the Texas Commission on the Arts, the U.S. Institute of Museum and Library Services, and the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. This program is also made possible in part by a grant from Humanities Texas, the state affiliate for the National Endowment for the Humanities. This podcast is presented by Final Draft. The show is produced by myself, Barbara Morgan, and Katie Turner. Our associate producers are Colin Heyer and Maya Perez. Our editors are Jamal Knox and Travis Neely. Audio captured by Travis Kennedy. Music is by Brian Ramos. Production assistance comes from Sound Lab Inc., Travis Kennedy, and KUT 90.5 in Austin. Go to austinfilmfestival.com to find out more about the Austin Film Festival and Conference each October. Until next time, I'm Barbara Morgan, and this has been Austin Film Festival's On Story. <laughs>